ever had one of those one of those moments where life just changed for you? A lot of times when we think about those moments, we think about good things. Sometimes we think about bad things. But I think about a moment when my life changed. You see, I, I grew up going to church some. We went to church. My dad was uh, uh, was from the Church of Christ, and so when we went to church, we would go to the Church of Christ. Had other family members that were involved in the Baptist Church, and so sometimes we'd go to the Baptist Church, and and I would always hear about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And even as a little boy, I could tell you Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but I really never really understood what that meant until my senior year of high school, and I was working over at Walmart, and I picked up a gospel tract. If you don't know what that is, it's just a little pamphlet. And it was a story about somebody who did not have Jesus, and it shared the gospel with me. And I remember after reading that, going home and combing over that, and reading the Bible verses that were in that tract, I remember coming to that realization for the first time what it meant for Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. It was after that that I I knelt by my bed at my home. I didn't walk forward at a church, although that would have been okay. But I didn't go to church a whole lot in those days. And I knelt by my bed at home, and I prayed to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'll never forget, even after, just immediately after that, feeling like a weight had been lifted off of my shoulders because I'd realized my need for Christ. And so, sure, slowly but surely, as I began to pursue the things of God, and I got involved in the things of God, into a, a local church, God began to deepen my faith and my walk, and, and He began to change my life from the, from the inside out. And what that means is, is what happened to me uh, whenever I prayed to receive Christ, when I began to understand my need for Christ, what happened to me was something that happened on the inside. It was something that, that happened in my heart. And, and over time, as I, as I dug into the Word of God, He began to change my, my attitudes. He, he began to change my habits. He began to change the, even the kind of entertainment that I really sought after and that I wanted to see. He changed my idea of what it meant to have fun. You know, over time, what God was doing in my heart became evident in my life. The heart change became a life change. In the book of Ephesians, we see this. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, uh, Paul talks a lot about that heart change. How we're saved, what it, you know, what it means to be saved. He emphasizes the heart change that happens when a person comes to Christ. But in chapter 4... He switches the emphasis. He still talks about that heart change, but he switches his emphasis to begin emphasizing not just the heart change, but the life change, the, the evidence of that heart change in your everyday life. You remember in chapter 4 here in verses 17 through 24, Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, had already commanded believers to be a testimony in the Lord. Verse 17, he says, I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as Gentiles walk in the futility of their thoughts. And in verse 18, we talked about this the last time we were in Ephesians, but in verse 18, he describes how the, 
the Gentiles or the lost people live. He says they're darkened in their understanding. They're excluded from the things of God because of the ignorance that is within them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They have hard hearts. They became callous and they gave themselves over to promiscuity and for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But in verse 22, Paul says, But you, believers, you are to be different. You've been changed. He says, you took off that old way of life, that old self that was corrupted by deceitful desires, and now you're being renewed in the spirit of your minds. And he says, you put on the new self, the one that is created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of truth. And we're going to pick up here in Ephesians 4, in chapter, uh, verse 25, we're in chapter 4, verse 25, and we're going to read to the end of the chapters we see some evidence and what we are to be as believers if we are people whose lives have been changed by the gospel of Christ. So Ephesians chapter 4 starting in verse 25. Since you put away lying, speak truth each one to his neighbor because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity. The thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. All bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander must be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. Father, we pray that you would help us to understand, Father, what it it means to be believers whose lives have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, that we may make an impact in this world because you have made an impact in us and God that your 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 Holy Spirit in the ministry of the kingdom of God Father would um, uh, would work through us Father for your glory and your kingdom in Jesus name we pray amen so Paul says to them he says you are different the, the, the lost people, they act like lost people because they're lost people. But you, if you're a believer, you've been changed by the blood of Jesus. And, and, and a life that is changed by Christ should be, the first thing is, committed to the church. We need to be healthy uh, church members. Look at verse 25. He says, he says so, so since you put away lying, speak truth, each one to his neighbor, because... We are members of one another. Paul tells us that believers, uh, that, that believers should be honest with our neighbor. But he, he says, if you're believers in Christ, don't lie to people. Don't be dishonest with people. L- listen, I, I'm just going to tell you, like, if I can't trust you to fix my car, then I don't know that I can trust you to tell me how to fix my eternity. Okay? And, and so, so we need, as believers, we need to understand the value of honesty and integrity. God created us for a reason. He saved us for a reason. Part of that reason is that we would have a Christ impact on other people's lives. If you're going to make that kind of impact on someone's life, they need to be able to trust you. 
You can have all the wisdom and knowledge and, and truth that there is to possess in your head, but if somebody does not trust you, they're not going to care what you have to say. We live in a world, listen, the world we live in, uh, you know, it, it's hard to trust people, even when people say that they're believers in Christ. I want you to notice, though, the motivation. The motivation for what Paul is telling them. He says you've got to be honest with one another because we're all members of one another. He tells them to speak truth to the neighbor, but, but really, you know, he is specifically, he's specifically addressing how they interact with other believers. And we, need, we do need to be truthful with everybody, but in this passage, this, the context of this, Paul is talking about how believers interact with other believers within the body of Christ. And all, all throughout chapter 4, you see Paul talking about the importance of believers being in unity. He's telling them what it means to be uh, you know, united by the things of God and, and, and really what, what, what it means to even be a healthy church member, what it means to serve, what, what it means to be uh, united uh, by the gospel above everything else. And, and so we see that Paul compares uh, both in Ephesians and in other books like in Corinthians. He, he compares the church of God to, uh, to a body. He calls the church the body of Christ. And, and we know that the individual parts of a body work together to function as an overall body. And, 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 and as our and different sort of parts of the body interact with one another, they have to sometimes yield to one another in order to be uh, in order for the body as a whole to be healthy. You know, just think about it like this. I mean, uh, this is just easy when we think about the context of the body. If, if, uh, if you put your hand down on a hot stove, there are nerves in your hand that send a signal to your brain that says, Ow! <laughs> you know, there's, there's something that, that sends a signal to your brain that says, Get the hand off the stove! Okay, and so then what do you do? You get the hand off the stove, right? But if something's wrong with those nerves, if they've been deadened and they're not working properly and you put your hand down on that stove and those nerves aren't sending the signal to the brain, you don't know to pull your hand off that stove. You know that there's a lot of damage that could come from that. You get badly burned. It could be in, get infected. It could even uh, result in amputation or even death. We, we understand that, uh, that in order for, uh, for, for the body to function, we understand that, that each individual part of the body needs to be working properly so that the, the body as a whole can function properly. Paul says, be a person in your church uh, that people in your church can trust. Listen, if we can't church, uh, trust people at church, then then we, we're a house divided. And Jesus says that a house divided against itself cannot stand. Paul says, he says, you believers in Christ, he says, you're, you're different from those unbelievers. You've had a life change. Lost people act like lost people because they're lost people, but you're saved people. And you should be acting like saved people. That should be evident in whether or not you are, you are united with other believers. Whether or not you're committed to the things of God at, in his church. Someone once said, a, a church is not something you belong to. It's a family that, it, it's, a, it, it's not something you go to. It's a family that you belong to. 
And we, we say we go to church and we understand in our jargon what that means. But the truth is that this building is not the church. This is just a building where we gather for ministries. This is a, a ministry center, but the, the church of God, uh, the church here, the local uh, New Testament church here at Perryville First Baptist Church it, 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 it is you. It, it's us together, believers. It is the believers that come together. Church is not a place that you go. It's a family that you belong to. Uh, Tom Rayner in his, in his book, I Am a Church Member, uh, wrote this. Part of it will be on the, on the board, but it says... If outside forces and culture were the reasons behind declining and non-influential churches, we would likely have no churches today. The greatest periods of growth, particularly the first century growth, took place in adversarial cultures. He says you can't blame the culture for the problems. You can't blame the culture because the church is not making the impact that it's supposed to make. He says we are not hindered by external forces. We are hindered by our own lack of commitment and selflessness. Paul says be honest. Be honest with, with one another. But ultimately he's saying that because it is part of being in a healthy church. It is part of being united and unified with other believers. It says when you're dishonest with a brother or sister in Christ, you're being dishonest with yourself. You're not doing anybody any good. You're hurting the body of Christ. Be committed to the work of God in the church. So a life changed by Christ should be committed to the church. And the second thing, we should be alert to the enemy. We've got to be alert to the enemy. He, he, says, uh, he says, be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And he says, verse 27, don't give the devil an opportunity. Don't give the devil an opportunity. He says, the thief must, not, must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. Notice, Paul doesn't say you're not allowed to get angry. He doesn't say you, you can't get angry. He says, when you get angry, don't be controlled by that anger. He warns us not to, not to let that anger lead you to sin. See, being angry is one thing, but being controlled by your anger is something else. Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. That, that anger, listen, if left unchecked, anger will turn to bitterness and it'll turn to resentment. And, and, and when we're bitter and we're resentful, we lash out and we say hurtful things and we do hurtful things. And we have to guard against those things because we are, as humans, we're flawed. Man, we're weak. And we have to guard against those things because that's how the enemy of God's going to creep in. Uh, he's going to creep into our lives and he's going to do damage to our lives. You know, just a month ago, we celebrated the 75th anniversary of D-Day. You probably saw things on the news about that. That is the day that Allied forces invaded Europe and it started a, an 11-month campaign that, that led to ultimate victory in Europe. Uh, we know that uh, uh, we know that after uh, after Hitler's forces were conquered and uh, Germany had surrendered, uh, four months later we saw the surrender of the Japanese as well, which completely ended all hostilities of World War II. But I don't know if you remember how we got into that war. Some of you 
uh, remember those days. Some of us have had to read it in our history books. Maybe you have heard this, maybe not. But I want to remind you that, uh, that, that the United States, when World War II started, we kind of tried to stay out of it. We had just been through World War I not too long before that, and we did not want to get involved in any other scuffles, okay? Uh, and, 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 and we did a pretty good job of staying out, out of it until December 7th, 1942, when the Empire of Japan declared war on the United States. We didn't declare war on them. They declared war on us. They bombed our naval base at Pearl Harbor, uh, killing over 2,400 Americans. Most of those were soldiers uh, in the Navy, but some of which were citizens of the United States, uh, civilians. You see, we stayed out of the war. We, we, we hadn't declared war on, on anybody, but there was an enemy who had already declared war on us. And even though we didn't go looking for the confrontation, when our guard was down at home, when we felt the most safe, is when the enemy attacked. Listen, friends, the, the enemy of God has declared war on you. Uh, w when you let your guard down, when you feel like, hey, it's all good, I'm okay. You know, I, I, you know, I'll just take a break from the things of God. I'll just, I'll, I'll just let up on this little thing in my life or that little thing in my life. We let our guard down. You see, the enemy will come creeping in. And when, when he does, listen, if you're a Christian, you have to understand your salvation is secure. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us that, that our inheritance will never spoil, fade, or perish. It's kept in heaven by God's power, not by... Our power is kept in heaven by God's power for those who are in faith. But that does not mean that we cannot struggle with sin. That does not mean that the enemy might not come creeping back into our lives. Now, now he's going to rob you, but he won't rob you of your salvation. But he will rob you of your joy. He will rob you of your, your, your fellowship, your right relationship with God. The enemy will rob you of your joy within your family. He robs you of joy at your job and in your home and he can suck the joy right out of it just like that. See, when you come to Christ, you, you, you made a decision to repent and, and walk towards the things of God and walk away from the things of the enemy. And you made a decision to say, hey, I'm, 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 I'm done with this. I'm done with that enemy. But the reality is that enemy is not done with you. He's going to keep chasing after you and he's going to keep tapping on your shoulder. He's going to keep trying to get your attention so he can discourage you in your faith. He can distract you from the purposes of God. Listen, don't give him an opportunity. Be alert. The truth is the enemy of God, just like any other enemy, he's going to attack the places that are the weakest. He's going to attack you in, in, the, uh, in the, uh, the, the, the areas of your weakness. And Paul mentions, specifically mentions, four categories of weakness in these verses. The first category of weakness is bitterness and hate. Now, he doesn't say that exactly, but he says, be angry and do not sin. He says, don't let that sun go down on your anger. He's, he's warning them not to let it fester. He's, he's warning them not to let it turn to, uh, to, into bitterness because that's, that's what lost people are expected to do, but saved people, people that have had a life change, are expected to deal with things differently than that. 
He, he warns us, I believe, here against bitterness and hate. He, he warns us against theft and dishonest gain. He says, uh, he says, if you made your living as a thief, he says, I, I get it. There are people who have always stolen things, and that's how they've gotten by in life. But if you are saved, it's time for you to get a job and start making an honest living. He, he says, he, he says it, it's time for you to, uh, to, to be an honest person in that way. People who don't know Jesus, they're expected to steal, but believers in Christ are expected to work for their food and for their possessions. He warns against greed. Because when he talks to them about uh, working an honest job, he says, I want you to do that so that when there's someone in need, you can share things with them. It's just believers in Christ are to willingly share that which rightfully belongs to them with those who are in need. I want you to notice it does not say that believers in Christ are to be Robin Hood, steal from the rich to give to the poor. That's not what this says. It says you're to go out and make an honest living so that you can share with those in need. A lost person is expected to say, I deserve this. I'm going to get mine. It doesn't matter how I get it. I'm going to get mine. See, that's, that's what lost people are expected to do. But, 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 but saved people are expected to do things differently. Lost people uh, are expected to be greedy with their possessions and their time. But a believer in Christ is expected to share what he or she has with a person in need. He warns us against greed. He also warns us against words or you know, gossip and slander. He says... He says, don't talk like a lost person. You know, talk like someone who knows Jesus. A person who doesn't know Christ is careless with what they say, but a person who loves Jesus is going to be strategic in how they use their words, and, and they, want, they want to build people up instead of tearing them down. That's why he says, no foul language is to come out of your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need. Do you notice that someone in need. What's good for building up someone in need? We live in a world where biblical literacy continues to decline. People are confused about what it means to be a Christian. They need to see and interact with people who've authentically been saved by the blood of Jesus. They need to see and interact with authentic, everyday disciples of our Lord. They need words of encouragement. They need, they need loving wisdom. They need to see the grace of God on display in your life. They need to see it on display in my life. And when we fall prey to hatefulness and to dishonest gain and greed and gossip and slander, then we are giving the enemy of God an opportunity to slide right in and offset some of the things that the ministry of Christ has done in our lives and the lives of people we love and people we know. See, a life changed by Christ should be committed to the church, should be alert to the enemy. But the third thing is we should be real. Be real with God and with others. He says, listen, he says, and don't grieve God's Holy Spirit, for you are sealed by him for the day of redemption. And all bitterness and anger and wrath and shouting and slander must be removed from you with all malice. See, when you stumble in sin and you give the enemy of God an opportunity to sneak in and do damage to your life and the lives of people you know, when that happens, Scripture teaches us that it grieves the heart of God. 
It grieves the Holy Spirit. It deeply saddens him. It saddens him because he loves you. God loves you, and, and, and he, he, he created you for a purpose. He saved you for a purpose. Uh, he has in mind for you the best of the best in the universe, which is God. He has in mind for you to have a relationship with himself, and there is no better entity, there is nothing better in this world or this universe than the love of the Lord our God. The Bible says that Jesus is the very demonstration of God's love to us. It says that God is love. You see, you see Jesus created you to be connected with the love of God. Christ is your creator and he is your completer. He created you for a purpose and he will bring that purpose into completion within your life. The more you pursue the things of God in your life, the more Christ is going to, to work to bring you to completion. It's a lifelong process. Listen, it didn't happen overnight. It's a lifelong process that, uh, that, that really we won't fully experience. That It will happen in its fullness when we step from this life into eternity. But there is a measure. There is a measure of completeness that we can experience here on this earth as we pursue the things of God. Paul says, don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. He says, you were sealed by him for the day of redemption. He says, this is not who you were created to be. When we pursue the things of the world, it grieves the Holy Spirit because he loves us. He creates for a reason. He saved us for a reason. If you say, listen... If you say that you love Jesus, but your faith is lived out casually instead of being lived out all in, then you're not being real with yourself. You're not being real with others, and you're not being real with God. When you were saved, Paul says, he, the Holy Spirit sealed you. What that means is when, when, when you were saved by the, the grace of God, God authenticated that salvation. He, he gave you, this is, this is oversimplifying it, but he gave you a receipt of that, uh, of that salvation, that transaction. And that part of that receipt is he sent the Holy Spirit of God to live in the heart of the believer. So your life should look like the life of a person that's carrying the Holy Spirit of God. Think about how confusing it is to the lost. I mean, I mean, I mean, think about that. I mean, if you're a lost person, if, if I'm a lost person, how am I supposed to believe that Jesus can change me if I cannot see that he has changed you? How can I believe that Jesus has something different for me if you're not any different from anybody else? See, a life changed by Christ, uh, a life changed by Christ should be real with God and with others, but also needs to be and should be a reflection of Christ to others. That's why in verse 32 he says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. See, when we're vengeful and vindictive towards others, we're not reflecting the God of love. When we're vengeful and vindictive uh, toward others, that's not the God of love. That's the God of us. That's the God of me. That's what, uh, that, that's what my sinfulness really wants to see happen. But 
the reality is life is not about me. Life's not about you. It's about God. Remember, He created you. He saved you. He purposed you. That's why Paul says, chapter 4 here, right here where we are, the very first words in that chapter, he says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. He says, if you've been changed by Jesus, sets the tone, verse 1, if you've been changed by Jesus, you should live like it. Be committed to his church. Be alert for the enemy. Be real with others and with God. And be a reflection of Christ to others. See, the deal is, is that he died for you so that you may live for him. Let's pray.